Thank you for coming to the podcast. It's Top Turtle MMA Podcast, episode 64, and it is brought to you, as always, by Sisu Mouthguards. What is a Sisu Mouthguard, you might say to yourself? Sisu makes the most lightest, thinnest, and durable mouthguard on the market. You can talk, you can breathe, you can drink, all with the mouthguard in your mouth. This is reinventing science. It's reinventing the wheel. It's reinventing the mouthguard game. Head on over to SISUGuard.com. Find yourself the right CSU mouthguard for your sport or activity. You're going to like the way the mouthguard feels in your mouth. I guarantee it. It's Top Turtle, episode 64, brought to you by CSU Mouthguards, and it starts right now. We are rolling. I am David Tremonti. He is Daniel Gumby Vreeland, the co-editor of MMA-Manifesto.com, our mothership, part of the Sports Daily Network. You, of course, can catch us there. Tune in Stitcher, SoundCloud, iTunes, Google Play. Wherever a podcast is being streamed, we be there. Give us a like. Give us a download. Hit the subscribe button. Write a review. It helps keep the lights on in the Top Turtle podcast studio. And, oh, do we appreciate the listenership oh so much. Gumby, one of the things we always hear about our podcast is we just get right to the point. Don't waste listeners' time. Not a lot of preamble, lollygagging, talking about things having nothing to do with the fight game. We just get right into it. So, let's get right into it. Hobby Lawler will be fighting Donald Cerrone at International Fight Week, UFC 213. Your thoughts, go. Well, first of all, is this our first booking for UFC 213? First, it is. First uh, International Fight Week one. Which... I, I think there was also a rumor about, um, was it Verdum and uh, either Kane being rebooked? or? Oh, Ver- no, Verdum is going to fight over him, I think. When is, oh, that, uh, that was a rumor for 213. But I think so. without getting off track, Cerrone versus... Uh, Lawler is which, official. Which, of course, it, it was originally booked for 209 on that, like, mega card, and we lost it. Or was it 205? 205, 205 yeah, on that mega card, and we lost it. Um, I, I just think it's, like, the perfect matchup for those two right now where they are in their career. Um, both of them kind of taking a step back out of the title picture. One of them is going to get back into it, and, and we're, of course, promised violence because, I mean, when have you ever seen a boring fight with either of those two? And interesting because both guys coming off the loss, Lawler coming off the loss to Tyron Woodley where he lost his belt, and um, Cerrone coming off the loss to Masvidal. Yeah, and, and, and they're, one of them is going to be right back in the title picture with But that. I want to just say it right now, these are two of the bigger names uh, people love him. Big fan following. We know the UFC loves uh, Cerrone as their poster child. He's a wild cowboy. Uh, Dana White loves him. Lawler, grizzled veteran at this point, former champion. I happen to love uh, Hobby Lawler myself. But that all being said, let's not get confused here. If one of them puts on some amazing performance, knocks out the other one in a minute, I don't give a fudge because... Damian Maya, if he beats Jorge Masvidal, he gets the next shot, not one of these two. I mean, I hope you're right. At, at this point in time, I won't put anything over the brass's head, but yeah, no, I, you, you have to imagine Damian Maya is getting booked with a win over Masvidal. Uh, if Masvidal wins, I, I suppose that could screw things up. But yeah, th- this puts them back in the, the top couple. This puts them 
in the mix, so to speak. In the mix, as they say. Well, wouldn't it be funny if Masvidal won over Maya and then Cerrone won over Lawler and they somehow tried to justify giving the fight, the title fight to Cerrone, even though Masvidal beat him <laughs> earlier in the year? I wouldn't, I wouldn't put it past them. <laughs> All right. Not as sexy a fight booking, but a fight booking nonetheless. RDA is going to be making his welterweight debut against uh, striker extraordinaire Tarek Safadine, and it's taking place in Singapore. This, this one's interesting to me because... Safadine has been kind of like knocked for having a couple of boring fights, but I think it's because he's such a counter striker. So I think this is actually a really good style for him to face because RDA's got that really forward pressure style uh, where he doesn't back down from anything. So so maybe this is the sort of the coming out for fight for Safadine. And if not, if RDA manages to pull this one off. It will certainly cement him as a legit fighter in the, the 170 division. I agree with you completely. I, th- I love the fight booking because when someone makes a debut to a new weight class, even though he was obviously the king of 155 at one point, I didn't need to see him fight You know, the very tippy top of the division yet. Safadine is a perfect first name as he dips his toe into the pool of welterweight. And same thing for Safadine. If he beats RDA, that's a nice feather, a nice in, his feather in his cap. I-, yeah. I originally was thinking uh, RDA was going to fight somebody even a little lower than Safadine. There were talks about him possibly facing somebody like Colby Covington, who's on a three or four fight win streak, just beat Brian Barberena. Uh, but it's interesting that they went higher. I mean, I think Safadine's ranked 10, um, so they went right to the top 10. It's funny because Colby Covington has been going on quite the marketing campaign to try to well, get has, that RDA I, fight. I'm pretty sure he hasn't fought in five months. He hasn't. He also made like a very funny screenshot of RDA's like uh, fake Gmail account with all sorts of like messages <laughs> oh, I, from different people that. and USADA testers after him, and then he went out on the street and held up a sign like we'll fight for food uh so i give him credit for just trying to you know get his name out there yeah, and being creative damn man for christ's sakes god i love watching him fight anyway uh, um so it also has come out habib Nurmagomedov did his first interview since all the fallout of ufc 209 he took 100 percent uh the blame and the f- he said it was his fault for not making weight and that he almost died yeah, the almost died part's pretty shocking. I mean, I I assume, you know, I I didn't listen to the interview to be fair. Um, but I assume it's something with his kidneys, yeah. Um yeah, I think the, there's something he has something uh, liver actually. It's oh, liver. liver. Okay. And it's something that he's going to go get checked out. He is obviously with Ramadan, he's not going to be fighting. He's going to like some special clinic in Germany. He does not think another weight cut will be a problem. He just said he needs to get right with his body what he needs to get right. It wasn't so much the weight cut, at, though that did obviously put stress on this condition, but he has a condition that he needs to figure out. Yeah, okay. So, uh, but but still, nevertheless, uh, scary that he felt that his body was shutting down that much. And, and there's been two recent deaths from weight cutting in the past year. Yeah, um, Asia? Asia. For both of them? And, no, and one was South America. Okay, yeah. But it, it tends to be, you find it tends to be on like slightly smaller shows, uh, in countries that you would assume have like a little bit worse in terms of medical care, especially for like athletic events. Um, nevertheless, super, super sad um, that that happens. But but um, I, f- I feel like they're a little bit more protected in the States or in, in Europe or stuff like that. I mean, I, I, I'm not going to be shocked the day a UFC fighter dies from a weight cut. No, because I, I think I there actually, have been people who've said they've come close and he just said he came close. Uh, I would actually be less surprised if it happened due to weight cut than I would be if it happened in the cage. I agree with you that know, completely. I, I think yeah. it, somebody's much more like, especially in, on a high level, you know, like amateur MMA or like, you know, 
uh, you know, some small promotion in freaking Oklahoma somewhere. Yeah, maybe somebody takes a, too many punches because a ref is untrained. Uh, but I would be much more surprised if somebody died in the cage than somebody died from a weight cut. Uh, moving on to less depressing things, uh, <laughs> you had Paul Heyman, uh, close friend <laughs> and uh, manager in uh, worked terms, as they say in pro wrestling. His uh, manager in pro wrestling, uh, Brock Heyman's that, or sorry, Paul Heyman is Brock Lesnar's manager, uh, and he said that Heyman could come back and do- Lesnar could come back. Sorry, that, why am I confusing their two names right now? He said <laughs> that could not be less <laughs> He said that Lesnar uh, could come back. Don't rule out a possible return to MMA. His suspension would end, I uh, believe, this July. It was a one-year suspension. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of ruining it out mostly because uh, when he did come back... He, he looked great and I, destroyed I mean, Mark looked, Hunt. He looked good. Did he look great? I mean, like, think back to when Brock Lesnar was amazing, right? We were, we were throwing around the terms like greatest of all time, and he was like 4-2, and two, right? He's beating Randy Couture. He was finishing people immediately, right? With mm-hmm. crazy good ground and pound. This is a guy who got Mark Hunt to the ground, who's notoriously bad on the ground, and still couldn't finish him. Mark Hunt got finished by Sean McCorkle on the ground, and still Brock Lesnar didn't finish him. So while he did look good positionally and dominating, that like killer instinct wasn't there anymore. And I, I think when people paid to see Brock, they paid to see a, you know, a 300 pound man throw the hardest punches he possibly could. And while the positioning and wrestling was good, I mean, I, I feel like some of the hype died with that fight. I, I thought it was a good fight from a MMA expert standpoint, but from like people pay to see it, people rip out money out of their pocket that aren't MMA fans. I think he lost a little of that. Yeah, I'm going to disagree with you on that. Uh, Brock is a name. Uh, he's a big name because he's on a show every Monday night that <laughs> draws in true. 2 million people. That bu- that pay-per-view did over a million buys. And don't forget that Cormier and Jones got canceled. So that was 100% yeah, Brock Lesnar. Yeah. Brock Lesnar is a million pay-per-view buy. Why, I mean, whether he's not as good, it's two separate issues there. If he's not as good, fine, I get it. And then as fans start to see he's not as good, sure. But at the end of the day, he had a win over a top 10 opponent and it drew in a million buys if all it took for him to train for that from all accounts eight weeks why would he not do it yeah i, I mean especially if the i guess it, you make a point there um you know because I, I i guess i always don't quite see the the pro wrestling side of it not being a pro wrestling fan presently uh but i, I guess you're right and especially with the ufc with less and less like megastars if they needed somebody to save a card and he could do it in, you know, like a six week training camp. Yeah, I'm with you, man. Fight I, anybody. Like I, you'll fight Roy Nelson. I also think too, um, you know, I used to say or used to say, if Rousey came back and lost to um what's her name? Amanda Nunes. Amanda Nunes. And I said, All right, well that's it, we're never seeing Rousey again, lost two in a row. And then the more and more I think about it, why wouldn't she come back? You know, yeah. even if it was for three losses in a row, uh she trains for a couple of months. She walks away with probably a $3 million payday by all estimates. I, why you, wouldn't these people keep coming back? You, you know what the other crazy thing people uh, thinking about Rod Rousey specifically, you know, she was a dominant champ to the point where she, what was she? 11 and 0, 12 and 0. I think it was 11 and 0 at the time. 11 yeah. and 0 at the time. She lost two in a row and everybody's writing her off. Like she's the most pathetic fighter ever. Take somebody like RDA, who wasn't a super dominant, like, 11-0 champ. Then he lost a couple in his division, 
And all we are is jacked up to see him in more fights. Mm-hmm. Like, we, we want to see him in a different weight class. We want to see him fight Tarek Safadine. Like, why shouldn't Rousey get more? I, I completely agree with you on Rousey. Like, her legacy is, is not over just from two losses. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you're right. Maybe the, the payday is there for both of those two. Yeah, I think and it's been said a million times. They spent $4 billion to buy the company. They went into super debt. And by all accounts, whenever a pay-per-view uh, hits a million, the UFC walks away with $25 million, um to if you're going to recoup those losses. You need that. You shit. need to start chipping away with those $25 million nights. Yep. So Le- Lesnar, Rousey, yeah, I don't rule it out. Now, that being said, the interview that Heyman gave, he didn't really, you know, that's the one little nugget people took out. And it was, uh, I believe it was with the Fight Society podcast, which I've never heard of that. Um, no offense to them. Uh, but, uh, and, you know, the interview was very much like, Brock can do whatever he wants. He could go into tennis and he could be a Wimbledon champion. Brock could go to Yankee Stadium and hit several home runs. Well, Yankee Stadium's a small stadium. So. That's Brock Lesnar. He's the beast incarnate. So, you know, it was kind of Heyman just hyping. It's a pretty it. damn good Heyman impression. Thank you so much. Uh, I really didn't even need to mention it. I just wanted to get the my impression out there. I didn't really care who did the interview with them. All right, now, let's keep moving on. Um, since we last spoke, Gumby, uh, we, of course, were taping when the news came out that Bellator was going to be running a pay-per-view at MSG. With, with I got Von- the live news. You got my live reaction a couple that's, weeks ago. That's right, with Vanderlei versus Sonnen. It's ceased, uh, since come out that Fedor will also be fighting. They've rebooked the Mitrione fight. And not only that, you broke this news to me last night at our open mat. They're going to kick off the pay-per-view. This is going to be on the prelim portion on Spike, or now the Paramount Network, and that's going to be Bader versus King Mo as a lead-in to the pay-per-view. Your thoughts? So I, I said this. I, I'm really pumped that they're stacking this card because you know they could have just done those two guys on the top, put some other stuff on the main card. But um, you know, there's a Lorenz Larkin fight in there. There's a Michael Chandler fight in there. Um, I think Lorenz Larkin's fighting Diego Lima for, Lima the, title. for the title. Yeah, yeah so th- they put a lot of exciting fights together. I will say that while I like the Bader-King Mo fight as like an exciting light heavyweight, meaningful fight, like right, like we would probably talk about, if we're talking about light heavyweights in the top 10 in the world, not in an organization, those two are in it. So while I really like that booking, I'm not sure it's the right one to try to convince people to buy your pay-per-view by giving them a free fight, right? Like, they're two wrestlers, mm-hmm. you know, and, and how often do two wrestlers, you know, a, a common fan watch two wrestlers grapple each other and then instantly they say, oh, I got to buy the pay-per-view if this is their product. They should have put Diego Lima and, and Lorenz Larkin as the lead in because that fight instantly, if you saw that fight, I, I'm telling you ahead of time, you watch that fight, you're going to be like, damn, I wonder what else Bellator has got. I'll buy their pay-per-view. I agree completely with you. I think you bring up a great point. Now, that pay-per-view, again, I mean... 50 bucks. Yeah, they're, they're, they're doing everything they can to load it up, but they ain't getting my money yet. I, I rather go. I would go see it live. How about that? Because it's a better experience, obviously, MSG. You see Fedor, the greatest ever, but I just can't see myself parting with the 50. And then, of course, there are always illegal means to n- never mind. <laughs> uh, all right. So, Gumby, let's keep moving on. Uh, Gegard Mousasi, he's been in the past year, call it the Conor McGregor effect. He's chatty. Yeah. He's chatty Mousasi. <laughs> and uh, he said, how the fuck is 10 and 10 Mark? 
Shark Hunt making 800k a fight. He wants the same amount of money. This is the last fight on his contract, which is very interesting because if he wins and we're setting the bar at 800k a fight, uh, he'll be in Bellator quicker than you can yeah. sneeze. <laughs> or uh, World Series. Uh, or World sh- Series pays their guys. So, but uh, or. You know, the UFC is going to have to pay up, but it's just very interesting. And I, I went to MMAManifesto.com just to look at Mark Hunt's career earnings. And, um, you know, it actually is pretty funny because I was wondering, I'm like, yeah, that does seem a little high for Mark Hunt. Uh, and, you know, when he became an 800K fighter per night was the Lesnar fight. Uh, before that, he was in, you know, the 200s, which is probably where around Musasi is right now. So, you know, for Musasi... He took a big fight against a big name... On the biggest show uh, of the their biggest history. biggest show ever. In, but you know what the other thing, too, is that Musasi doesn't realize in all of this. Is Musasi's talking about how he, win, he won this fight and won that fight. It, fight. The fight business is just not about how many wins you have and what your record looks right. like. Watch a Mark Hunt victory... And tell me you're not just like the most jacked up fucking person in the place because he throws that one punch knockout. He doesn't even follow it off. He throws his hands in the air and walks away and smiles. And you're like, damn, that dude's a bad motherfucker. Well, and not only that, I agree with you. Not only that, but it's like we just said, you know, talk to your freaking manager, Musasi. It's not so much about um, when you have wins or how many wins, but it's who those wins are against. Musasi could have fought Anderson Silva at some point in the past few years. Had he fought Silva and won, I guarantee you he'd be making about 800K. You know what I mean? He never had that. Who has has Musasi... Maybe not 800K, but he would would definitely be up in the pace. Well, but who is Musasi's signature win in the UFC against? Tell me. Don't even worry about Uriah it. Uriah Hall? Thank you. So, who cares? I don't know. I'm not looking it up. You couldn't even say it off the top of your head. That's why he doesn't make 800K yeah. a fight. Well, and, and I was going to make this point when we start to break down that fight, too, is is uh, Chris Weidman is hugely overlooked in this fight because of the opponents, and we'll break that down well, later. I'll stop you right there because, hey, buddy, we got a breakdown on the other side of this interview, so you guys can get juiced for that. All right, so let's take a moment right now. We had a chance to catch up with Pearl Gonzalez. Pearl Gonzalez, and uh, she fights this weekend. But before we play you that fight, which I'm very excited to play you, I, of course, want to direct you to Datsusara Hemp Gear. Datsusara makes fight gear out of hemp. I roll in their fight shorts. I absolutely love them. Best pair of fight shorts I have. Uh, head on over to dsgear.com. You can check out their hemp geese. They come with hemp belts, their hemp fight shorts, or their hemp uh, training shirts, which are also good to roll in because they're very durable. Hemp is a billion times stronger than cotton, and you can really feel it in the material. Head on over to dsgear.com. Enter in dsgear.com, enter in promo code top turtle, all one word, not case sensitive. Get yourself a nice little discount. Datsusara Hemp Gear brings you our interview with UFC fighter Pearl Gonzalez. This is Daniel Gumby Vreeland here with my co host Dave Tremonte, and we are speaking with Pearl Gonzalez, who fights Cynthia Cavillo at UFC 210 on April 8th. Uh, Pearl, thanks for taking the time with us. Uh, Talk to us a little bit about what it was like when you first got that call to make your debut in the UFC. Gosh, it was amazing. It's been so many years of hard work in the making, and, and finally I, I got my call. I was signed in the UFC in December um, and was awaiting to make my debut, and I'm so excited to finally be able to put on my performance. 
Yeah, and we're excited to see it too. So doing a little digging before, you know, you talked about years worth of uh, hard work. We, we were reading online that you made your Pancration debut. You had a Pancration fight at 11 years old. Tell us a little bit about that. Yes. So my father at the time was raising me as a single parent, and I, uh, I live in Chicago. I come from the hood. I was getting into trouble already at the age of 11. My dad working 60-plus hours a week needed something for me uh, to, to keep me out of trouble and uh, kind of deal with my anger. I was an angry kid. Both my parents were drug addicts, so I was split from my sisters and, and angry. And so he t- put me into Combat Doe, which was the gym I was at until I was 24 years old, and I hated it at first. I didn't want to do it. I didn't like getting hit. And finally, I remember this one woman who had been doing it for a long time. She said, quit being so pretty. Get tough. <laughs> And I was like, okay, okay, I'm going to try. And from that day forward, forget about it. I just, I grew to love it. And a few months later, I had my first uh, pancreation tournament. We, it was a Team USA versus Team Canada. It was a Ken Shamrock tournament. It was really awesome out in uh, San Diego. Wow. So, I mean, props to your dad for recognizing that, though. You know, some girls at age 11, they might have gotten put in dance or ballet or something. He saw you had a little aggression, a little anger, and he said, we're going full on pancreation here. And he took you to a mixed martial arts gym. Yes. Yeah, best choice of my life. I'm so grateful for it. <laughs> and it got you here, making your debut at UFC 210. Uh, so what led to then into boxing, correct? You came up and were Golden Gloves, Illinois. Is that correct? Yes. So uh, training at Combat Doe, uh, my instructor, Bob Shermer, always had us competing in in different things. When I was young, it was judo tournaments. um, It was pancreation, jujitsu tournaments, boxing, kickboxing. We were always competing in, in, in every, you know, in every area that we could. And we were training mixed martial, mixed martial arts. There was no holds barred back then, but we were training for that as well, obviously pancreation. And so, um, growing up, I, I um, trained for a few years. I left it alone in my in my teenage years, and, and I came back at 21 years old. So 21, I'm back to competing, and of course, coaches throwing me in, in all different kinds of tournaments and stuff. And so, I uh, just so happened to do Golden Gloves uh, that year, and I and I won. Wow, that's a uh, that's. For somebody who didn't specialize in boxing, too, to win a, a Golden Glove it is just amazing. So let's let's talk a little bit about some of those other things, too. So you said, you know, jiu-jitsu, judo, things like that. We saw that you've been training uh, at 10th Planet San Diego. Uh, I'm a big fan of the 10th Planet system. Uh, how would you feel that the, the 10th Planet has uh, shaped your grappling game for MMA? Because there's so many people who say that it, you know, it works really well in grappling tournaments and, and is a little bit tougher to integrate into MMA. How do you feel that it has helped out your MMA game? Oh my gosh, I love 10th Planet. I love it for the underhooks, the overhooks, the grips. I love 10th Planet for MMA. I believe that, I, I truly believe in their system, especially for MMA. Uh, right now, I don't, don't ever really train in gi, and so I'm all about learning the different grips and, and different ways that, to control your opponent. So I love 10th Planet. I, I got out to San Diego. My husband is active duty Navy. So we are currently stationed in San Diego, which is how I even found, at the time, San Diego Combat Academy, and, and started training with Liz Carmouche, and uh, eventually Boogie came in and took over the 10th Planet, and it's, it's been amazing since. 
That's that's pretty awesome. And obviously, we've seen uh, some male fighters utilize Tenth Planet in their training for MMA. Ben Saunders comes to mind, has the only Oma Plata in UFC history, and of course, Tony Ferguson, who almost fought for the interim lightweight title, but we know what happened there. Um, but yeah. certainly, a lot of guys are are utilizing Tenth Planet in their MMA training. Um, so let's talk about the fight itself. Uh, you fight Cynthia Calvijo, um, and she is mostly seen as a grappler, although she does have some decent hands. Is the plan to keep this on the feet? Are you happy to take it anywhere? Are you looking to get this to the ground? We know you're not going to give us away the whole game plan, but give us some thoughts on the fight. You know, I think that she's extremely exciting. I'm actually a very big fan of her. I loved her for her recent performance and debut. Uh, she's tough. I think she's tough in all areas, uh, but but this is what I've actually been working for. I, I was predominantly a grappler in my amateur years, and I have worked so hard to round out my game and get comfortable and, 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 and um, round out all of my areas. So I'm confident on my feet, I'm confident in my wrestling, and I'm confident on, on the ground. And so I am prepared for wherever this fight goes. I know she's tough, she's aggressive, she's fast, she's athletic, and I am prepared for all of that. And, and we're certainly excited to see that as well. Now, you know, you mentioned in your, your amateur days and your early professional days, you, were, you saw yourself as more of a grappler. You, know, you have a submission win over Courtney Casey, who is, you know, currently ranked at 115 in the UFC. Uh, does that give you more confidence going into your UFC debut, knowing you've already had that top-tier talent? It does. It does. I think that Courtney Casey was a very tough fight for me, and and to watch how well she's done in the UFC uh, in her performances, and she looks great out there. And and to see that, and to know that I've been in there with her, and 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 have beat her, it does. It gives me all the confidence in the world, knowing that I do belong here, you know, and this is right where I'm supposed to be, and I know that I will be ranked, you know, as well. So I do. It does. It, it that that fight was a big fight for me and it really was beneficial in so many ways that's awesome now you mentioned you trained with liz carmouche uh liz carmouche has has really kind of quietly turned herself into the veteran of uh the women's bantamweight division you know she fought ronda rousey in the first uh championship bantamweight women's uh title fight in the ufc did she give you any advice uh just as far as making the transition into the big show quote unquote did she give you any advice just on how to handle media obligations or just the difference from going from let's say the independent leagues to the ufc you know we we have i've always watched her she's always mentored me i've always been around when the ufc would come and film her when she would do some of her interviews, I, I watched her for the last few years. She, there's also Alima McFarlane there, who's also a very big in Bellator as well, and with the media. And so I've always kind of looked at their career and and um, used them as as a as a good uh, example of what this will be. Uh, not so much, um, I would say, advice, but more mentorship. Just daily, you know. When I got the call that I was being signed, I immediately came home to Chicago and back into my home camp. And I have been here away from home and my husband for the last three months, just preparing for my debut. So I haven't really had the opportunity to talk to both Alima or, or Liz, you know, in regards to this fight coming up. What was the thinking in going back to Chicago, just home gym where you're most comfortable or why not stay in San Diego? Cause there's, there's obviously a ton of good MMA gyms in Southern California. Were you just more comfortable going back to Chicago to train for the debut? 
So I, I work with Coach Alex Trujillo here at Midwest Training Center, and he is absolutely amazing. I am just so confident in his coaching abilities. I love my team here. Obviously, this is home. However, my family, I, I'm an hour out from my family, and I kind of keep my training and my, my business um, life or work life very, very separate from my family um, life. So I, I just truly believe in my coach here. I believe in his skills. I believe in, in, in the team here. And so I feel com- more comfortable here with my coach. I actually live with him and his family while I'm in camp. I've been doing this since my Courtney Casey fight, and it's truly helped me. I have turned out to be a completely different fighter, which I'm so excited now that I can display all the new skills that I have on the big stage. Yeah, and if it's happened since uh, since the Courtney Casey fight, I mean, you can't go wrong with a six-fight win streak. Um, so uh, let us know what... what when uh, all of this goes down on April 8th, when you step into the cage with Cynthia Cavallo, uh, how's this one end? Uh, give us a prediction for exactly how it goes down. Hmm, I think it's going to be exciting. I'm hoping that this may be one of the, the top fights of the night. I don't know exactly how this is going to pan out. I just know one thing. My hand will be raised at the end of this fight. Very well said. Now, Pearl, uh, you are new to the UFC and thus new to a lot of fans of the UFC, so we always like to play this game real quick just to get to know you a little bit better. Uh, Who's your favorite MMA fighter or boxer or just fighter of all time? Hmm, I would have to say... Oscar De La Hoya is one of my favorites. Nice. Boxing uh, background. Yep, yep. Makes sense for yes. you. And I would also say I love Khabib. I love Khabib. <laughs> Obviously, we know what just happened with his fight, but his style, his, oh, God, it's just amazing. His ground and pound, his wrestling, I love his style. So he is, by you know, one of my favorite UFC fighters. You're talking to an unrelenting Habib fanboy right here. I also love Habib's style. Uh, What's your favorite action or mixed martial arts movie of all time, if you have one? Oh, my God. I'm so bad at this one. Um, Do do you have – can you point to something, just a movie, maybe something that inspired you once upon a time? Oh, my gosh. It just came out, and I don't even know the name. It was, like, a really good one. It was out this earlier this year. Southpaw. Eat? That was a good oh, one. Oh, Southpaw. Oh, okay. I didn't see that, Southpaw but that was good. Was All right, good so you definitely fall on, like, the boxing side of things, more so than, like, the mixed martial arts, like, Eastern martial arts side of things. Yes. Yes. For okay. sure. Awesome. Well, Pearl, uh, we cannot thank you enough for the time. Uh, it was great getting to know you in the lead-up to your fight at UFC 210. Congratulations on getting called up, and we would love to catch up with you uh, down the road after the fight is complete. Absolutely. Thank you guys for having me on. You guys were super fun. I'd love to come back on and talk with you guys. All right, Gumby, there you have it. Pearl Gonzalez. Yeah, interesting prospect, too, because, like, uh, you know, we, we talked to her about her golden gloves and how she still sees herself as a grappler. A lot of people write off uh, some of those young prospects when they're, like, you know, 9-0 and or 10-0. and uh, But she's got, like, a freaking dozen amateur fights and all that other uh, martial arts background. So it's super, super exciting to see her make her debut. Agree, agree. Let's agree to agree. So let's move on to UFC 213. Uh, oh, sorry, 210. I have 213 <laughs> on the on the brain right now. Uh, UFC 210 takes place in Buffalo. Uh, their first trip back to Buffalo since the brawl in Buffalo, which I think was UFC 7. I had the VHS tape as a fat 12-year-old. I love that card. Um, 
And uh, it's headlined, it's a rematch for the light heavyweight title, Daniel Cormier versus Anthony Rumble Johnson. You have Cormier, the plus 105 dog, which makes absolutely no sense to me. Anthony Johnson is the minus 125 favorite. Uh, let, let me remind everyone, including the betters, that Cormier won the last fight, uh, and I would say so in convincing fashion after weathering an early storm, did get rocked. Um he got a rear naked choke in the third round. Cormier is coming off a win over Anderson Silva at UFC 200, where he played things very, very safe and just wrestle fuck Silva for three rounds. It was a decision win. Beat Alexander Gustafsson in his one title defense by split decision back in October of 2015, and of course the win over Anthony Johnson uh, to get the title. So he's 3-0 and in his last three. Anthony Rumble Johnson, the knockout artist, the true knockout king, no offense to Derek Lewis, of the UFC, is also on a three-fight win streak. Since losing to Daniel Cormier back in May of 2015, he beat Jimmy Manoa via, guess what, KO. Beat Ryan Bader via, guess what, KO. Beat Glover Teixeira via toehold. Just kidding, via <laughs> KO. So, Gumby, your choice here, Cormier versus Johnson, the rematch. I, I just can't believe Cormier is a... A freaking underdog in this fight. I, I mean, I think you have to pick Cormier unless you're hoping. Um, you know, I really want to see a John Jones uh, Rumble Johnson fight, uh, and I think that's probably why the odds are so low on Rumble is the hope of betters mm. that he knocks him out. And there, there had to have been some like early money in on Rumble because no part of their first fight gives me any hope that Rumble would knock out. Well, Cormier no, he ro- he rocked him. I mean, he rocked him, but like. Never to a point where I was like, oh, he might get finished, you know, like to the point where he had like some wobbly legs and he recovered immediately. You Mm -hmm. know, like he was never in serious harm, whereas, I I mean, Rumble was in bad positions all the time, right? Oh, yeah. He he got squashed. So I got to say that I think this is Cormier's fight again. Um, I expect him to finish him too. He, he, well, this is so. This is the way I look at it. I think, and even Cormier said this: if Johnson's going to win, it's going to be in the first round. Where have we heard that before? I think he said he had to be careful for seven minutes. Okay, seven yeah. minutes. Uh, so here's if you're a degenerate gambler, uh, like me, uh, you do a part, uh, do a prop bet on Anthony Johnson via KO. And pick Cormier just to win outright, and you kind of hedge your bets. Or, or pick Cormier to win by sub. Sure. And, and, and you probably even boost those odds. Now, that being said, I can I see it in my head. I see the path to victory for Johnson, obviously the KO, and early because... It's called his right fucking hand. It, right. <laughs> exactly. But, you know, there are some things in play. Cormier, he's older. He's aged since that Rumble fight. He got rocked in the Gus fight with a knee. Guess what? Once he started letting Anderson Silva open up... Cormier has significant holes in his striking, I believe. He just happens to be such a good fucking wrestler. And, uh, you know, could Johnson catch him? Fuck yes. Yeah, I, I think he could too. I, I just think the probability is way too low. And if you, if we're talking about this from a gambling standpoint, and you're not thinking about throwing down on DC at plus 105, you're crazy. Yeah, but plus one hundred five isn't like. I mean, but that means you can get even money for betting on Dan Cormier. That's true. I'm, I mean, that's 
to me, that's crazy. Yeah, and he only has one loss in his in his career, and it's to the goat. Yeah, so absolutely. All right, the co-main event is a very interesting matchup at middleweight. We already started talking about it a little bit. Uh, Gegard Mousasi in his final fight on his contract, and a guy who's become quite chatty recently um, is going to be fighting Chris Weidman. It's obviously Weidman's home state of New York. Uh, Mousasi is on a four-fight win streak since that loss to Uriah Hall. Uh, with the crazy spin kick and everything else, he beat the Alice Latis uh, via decision, beat Tiago Santos via KO, beat Vitor Belfort via TKO, and then avenged the loss to Uriah Hall with a TKO. Weidman is experiencing uh, a, the lowest point in his career, to be quite honest with you. The former champ um, lost his title to Luke Rockhold in December of 2015, came back against Yoel Romero in November of 2016, and lost via uh, flying knee in the third round in a fight he was winning. Uh, you know, had he survived that third round, I believe he would have won on the judges' scorecards. But nonetheless, his first two losses of his career in a 13-0 and fighter is now 13-2 and on a two-fight losing streak. His last win was against Vitor Belfort at UFC 187. Who you got? I'm going with Chris Weidman, and, and here's why. I, I mean, if you just look at uh, – and, and I'm, I'm guessing Weidman is a – did you say Weidman was a dog as I well? actually didn't say it yet. I'll tell everyone now. Weidman is a plus 100 dog. Yeah, okay. Again, so, again, even so, money. So but same thing. Even and, money. and hold on. And in some places, just minus 105. Gegard is minus uh, as low as minus 115 and as high as minus 137. Yeah, so, I, I mean, like – it's crazy to me that Musasi is a favorite, but it's because he's four and zero in his. You know, he's on a four fight win streak versus Weidman being on a two fight losing streak. But if you read those names, Tiawis Ladies, mm-hmm. Tiago Santos, mm-hmm. a very aged Vitor Belfort, Sing it, sister, and Uriah Hall versus the two people that Weidman lost to, Luke Rockhold and Yoel Romero, <laughs> and he was fucking beating Yoel Romero, tops so, of the division. So I mean, like he right now ranked one and two in the division. They're ranked one and two behind the champ, and that's it. So, I, I mean, when you think about that, I think Chris Weidman is being a little bit overlooked here. Um, I, I mean, he's he's a guy who beat Loyola Machida. He beat Anderson Silva, uh, you know, whatever you want to say about that. And he looked unstoppable until uh, the Rockhold fight. So, I mean, I, I like Chris Weidman in this fight. I think that he neutralizes the wrestling enough of Gegard Mousasi, and I, I like his hands here, too. All right. Um, I, I'm with you. I'm not going to disagree with anything there. We move on. You have uh, Cynthia Calvijo, uh, a minus 270 favorite against, hey, look at that, friend of the show, just spoke with her, Pearl Gonzalez, the plus 230 dog. Um, Cynthia Calvijo is 4-0. and oh. Uh, she has one, as a pro. She has one win in the UFC, and that was against Amanda Cooper, a rear naked choke at UFC 209. So, making a quick turnaround here, we obviously spoke about our girl Pearl Gonzalez's career in the interview. What do you make of it, Gumby? I, I think she's being undervalued here too. Kilbio looked really, really good against Amanda Bobby Cooper, but Amanda Bobby Cooper, I think, is two and two in her career going into that fight. She's two and three now. Um, you know, maybe. People saw that last fight, and she looked dominant. She looked really good with her grappling, but she's up against somebody with, you know, 10 career fights. Uh, You know, if you count in her amateur stuff, she's fought like 23 times, for Christ's sakes, and she's a Golden Glove boxing champ. I think Cavillo is going to get smashed here. Wow. uh, Gumby, are you just saying this because Pearl Gonzalez is a friend of the show? Okay. If you've seen some highlight videos on her, I think she's got way better striking, and I I think she's going to cause... 
if not trouble for Cavillo on the ground, she's at least going to stalemate it so that this turns into a boxing fight. And if you're counting at home, I've just taken dogs in three straight fights. The parlays can flow all through this card if you want. Let the parlays flow. You get a parlay. You get a parlay. You get a parlay. We move on to welterweight and a fight that is just so, so, so exciting. If it was the year 2007. Uh, just kidding. I like both these guys. Uh, Tiago Alves. Two former title challengers. Sure, sure. Tiago <laughs> Alves will be fighting Patrick Cote. Sure. Uh, Tiago Alves um, is on a two-fight losing streak. Womp womp. Uh, his last win was against Jordan Mean uh, via TKO. That was at UFC 183 in January of 2015. Lost to Carlos Condit and lost to Jim Miller since then. Uh, Cote also coming off a loss to uh, to our boy, um, Cowboy Donald Cerrone. But before that, he had put together a nice three-fight win streak, beat Joe Riggs, beat Josh Berkman, beat Ben Saunders, uh, three grizzled veterans. So he's 3-1 and one in his last four. If you want the odds on this, it's Cote, a minus 160 favorite. Tiago, the plus 140 dog. What are you thinking here? Yeah, I'm going to take my first favorite here. I think Cote is a much better pick. Um, just since his re- like career resurgence, um, he's leaned a lot more on his wrestling. And just his his overall octagon control, putting people up against cages. And I think that that's really uh, changed the way that his fight game is going. And yeah, he lost to Cowboy Cerrone, but like, you know, Cowboy Cerrone's in the middle of a terror uh, despite his last loss. Uh, You know, Tiago Alves definitely on the decline. Losing to Jim Miller was a rough one for him. Um, Not that Jim Miller's any slouch, but he he didn't look good in that fight either. So I'm going to take Cote on this one. All right. Uh, Can't disagree with anything there. Kicking off the whole pay per view is Charles Oliviera. Um, I love when Brian Stan is on commentary, by the way, because he always says Charles Oliveira. <laughs> like, he, uh, like he's fucking Brazilian. Exactly. <laughs> we'll be fighting Will Brooks. Will Brooks is a strong diesel minus 265 favorite. You could get Oliveira at plus 225. Now, Brooks, since coming over from Bellator, is 1-1. One and one. Beat Ross Pearson via decision. Lost to Alex Oliveira and then said, hey, give me another Oliveira. And Charles was happy to block. So Charles Oliviera will be fighting Will Brooks, and he is one and two in his last three. He beat Miles Jury back in December of 2015, then lost to Anthony Pettis via guillotine, lost to Ricardo via guillotine. Hopefully he's worked on his guillotine defense. Who you got here? I think I'm going to go with Will Brooks. Uh, Oliviera coming back up to 155. I just don't think it's strong enough to deal with Will Brooks. His wrestling, uh, I mean, it's... It might be boring to some fans, but he's going to suffocate Charles Oliveira. All right, and then we go to the prelims. The prelims are on Fox Sports 1. You have Miles Jury versus Mike uh, De La Torre. Mike De La Torre is a plus 325 dog. Miles Jury, a very strong minus 400 favorite. Go. I like Jury in this one. I think he's better everywhere. Uh, Mike De La Torre is a tough out, but... I mean, those odds say it all. He, he's a huge favorite. He's a huge favorite for a reason. Uh, Kamara Usman is a minus 335 favorite against Sean Strickland, the plus 275 Dow. I am actually pumped at the way those odds read because I am going with Sean Tarzan Strickland in this one just because I think uh, Usman, it, he's gotten some really good finishes. I'm not really impressed with the people he's beaten, and I think Sean Strickland is going to neutralize that grappling, and he's a big guy himself. So I, I, I'm going to go with Sean Strickland in this one. All right, not going to argue with you. Um, 
friend of the show, uh, local product by the name of Charles Arosa, is a plus 170 dog fighting Shane Burgos at minus 200. What do you think? I, I like Rosa's grappling in this one. I think Burgos is good, but you know, in his uh, debut, I, I think we saw you know hints that he probably would not be able to grapple with Charles Rosa. Um, Charles Rosa, by the way, friend of the show, episode one. Was he friend of the show from episode one? Correct. <laughs> um, yeah, so I, I'm going with Rosa. All right. Um, and then this is the first fight of the FS1 prelims. You have Patrick Cummins. He's going to be taking on uh, Jan Blankowitz. What are your thoughts? I, I like Pat Cummins. I, I mean, I'm constantly the guy who doesn't quite know what to make of Cummins because he he looks so good sometimes and not so good the other times. But if Blankowicz is going to have a problem, it's going to be with somebody taking him down and putting him on his back. And, and that's what Cummins does to people. Um, if it stays standing too long, Blankovic could, it could definitely knock him out. Um, so kind of a 50-50 fight in those regards. But I'll go with the takedowns here. Blankowicz, the minus 125 favorite. Cummins, plus 105 dog. I think Vegas agrees with you that it's tough to uh, even decide yeah. what's going to happen there. Very close. I mean, it's any, any time with light heavyweights or heavyweights. Right. I mean, it's hard to call. All right. Uh, then you go to Fight Pass for the prelims and call it the main event of the UFC prelims. You have Gregor Gillespie, the minus 220 favorite against Andrew Holbrook, a plus 180 dog. I, I like Holbrook. He, he's a guy who's upset a couple of people he's not supposed to have beaten. I'm pretty sure he came in on short notice and beat Ramsey Nijem in his, his debut. Um, I think he gets the win here. Well, that was a lightweight offering, and then we have another lightweight offering. Desmond Green, the plus 190 dog, to Josh Emmett, the minus 230 favorite. Uh, Des Green is such an intriguing underdog option here, too, because this is a three-time uh, you know, Division One, I think Division One All-American, maybe Division One qualifier at, at D1. So he's an amazing wrestler. He's fighting at home. He went to the University of Buffalo. Uh, this is a guy who's knocked out. Uh, Miguel Angel Torres in 10 seconds. He's beaten Steven Seeler outside. He was the Titan champ. I think he fought for World Series of Fighting for the champ. I mean, this is a legit wrestler. I'm going to go with Des Green. I think he does it here. Wow. All right. Big stuff right there. Uh, women's bantamweight offering. You have Kathleen Chukagian, a minus 170 favorite against Irene Aldana, a plus 150 dog. Yeah, I, I want to go with Aldana here, but she looks so rough her last outing uh, i want to say she bounces back and has a better fight here so i'll go with her uh for a decision who's right? that aldana you're yeah. going with aldana yeah. okay aldana all day uh and then uh, a pint size offering we have a flyweight bout kicking everything off you have janelle luausa a plus 385 favorite taking on someone who i'm assuming is from the dagestani tribe uh you have magam magamed bibulatov bibulatov the <laughs> minus 485 favorite I'm, I'm gonna go with bibulatov i i think uh so i haven't seen much of him uh but i know he he brings that exactly what you expect from a guy uh with a name like magamed bibulatov i mean he brings crazy intense fast wrestling that seems persistent and if you know anything about Lousa he's from the Philippines and for the most part I mean he's a really really good Muay Thai fighter but apart from that uh, you're just not going to see much in the way of grappling for him so it's the worst possible matchup for him 
Well said, well said. I take your word. I'll take you at your word on that. Uh, this has been another episode of Top Turtle MMA Podcast. We thank you so much for listening. Get the word out. Word of mouth. WAM, as they say in the advertising game, is the most important thing to any sort of endeavor, such as a podcast. We appreciate the listenership. We'll be back next week with another great episode. You can email the show, MMA at gmail.com, or follow us on Facebook at Top Turtle MMA. I am David Tremonti. He is Daniel Gunn. Gumby Vreeland. We're out for now, but we'll be back next week.